0: Hey, Nothing Is Wasted family, before we dive into this podcast episode, I just want to make an announcement that I'm super excited about. We are finally going to Israel, and I want to invite you to come with us. Christy and I would love to and extend an invitation for you to come with us to Israel. We were supposed to go back in October of 2020, and we all know what happened there, and we have delayed this trip for some time because of all the travel restrictions. But The good news is, is as of March of this past year, all the travel restrictions were lifted for Israel. All of the requirements, vaccination requirements, all of that sort of thing were completely lifted. So we're going to go to Israel in May of 2023. The trip is May 29th through June 6th of 2023. If you want to find out more information about that. You can go to nothingiswasted.com slash Israel, but let me just say this. There are frequently people will ask me questions about when was the turning point in my healing journey. And six months after my late wife was killed, I was invited on a trip to Israel with a church that really surrounded me during that season. And that is, I can look back on, that is the major critical turning point of my healing journey for the first time. Uh, color was beginning to come back into my life. And I can't necessarily explain all the reasons why, but I think it had something to do with walking in the places that Jesus walked, learning about nuances of scripture that I had not seen before, and particularly seeing the theme of pain and suffering all throughout the biblical narrative and the historical narrative. And that was the first time I saw that. And so it really changed my perspective on this world, God on my particular tragedy that I was walking through and so I vowed when I left that trip that I was going to take people back to experience the same thing that I experienced to have some of those huge aha healing moments so this trip is going to be exciting it's going to be fun it's going to be enlightening it's going to be healing it's going to be inspiring it's going to be challenging it's just going to be an amazing time. So Christy and I would love to invite you to come to Israel with us in 2023. Go to nothingiswasted.com slash Israel. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash Israel to find out all the information about this trip. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no
1: matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey
0: Sampson.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. I'm Aubrey.
0: And I'm Davey. And uh, we have a great conversation for you today with Greg and Kathy Bufkin. Uh, which is a couple that I have just recently gotten to know and um, just really excited about what they're doing and how they're turning their pain around into purpose. Um, I love hearing stories about that. I right. love hearing stories about people saying intentionally, you know what, I may not be healed completely from this loss or this yeah. pain that I'm experiencing, yeah. but out of this, I'm going to let God fuel something that is con- that is contributing to the healing of other people. And, right. And that's what's so beautiful about what Greg and Kathy are doing right now. Um, they have a ministry called the Empty Chair Endeavor, which is them and uh, and a few other couples who have lost um, children to suicide.
2: Mm, it's awful.
0: Which is just a absolutely horrific and devastating thing. And if you're listening yeah. to this, maybe you you know came across this because you are on one of our curated pathways and you've lost a child to suicide as well. I just I just want to acknowledge that 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 is just um, yeah. There's no words. That is just a a horrible loss. The, and,
2: and it seems like Davy. In fact, I was reading some recent statistics that for like 18 and under, suicide is now the the first or the second leading yeah. cause of death. And so this is yeah. a very real, it's very real, potent, yep, uh, you know, pain and evil. So you're right. For our listeners yeah. who've lost someone to suicide, especially a child, we're yeah. just so so sorry for that loss. It's
0: Certainly increased over the last 10. Years, but over the last two years, it has like yeah seen a yeah almost a hockey stick effect awesome. that has happened, and so um we're we're glad you're here if you if this is your story and uh and we just want to the best that we can um bring other people on just like Greg and Kathy that can yeah. s- offer some solidarity and say hey we've we've been there but also offer some hope and so uh, you're gonna receive that I believe with this conversation um you can also c- get connected to Greg and Kathy on our community platform they're there they're um interacting with others who have lost children to suicide and so i know that they would love for you to get connected there and and also the empty chair endeavor and what they do you'll find out more about what they do in this conversation as as well as their story so let's go ahead and uh, take a listen to um when i got to sit down with greg and kathy buffkin Well, Greg and Kathy, it's so great to have you guys joining me on the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having us, baby.
0: You know, you and I, we got connected through a mutual friend who's also been on our podcast a couple of times, Chris Dew, yeah. and he leads a ministry <laughs> Uh, down in South Carolina in, um, you know, well, it's really a global ministry, but they headquarter out of South Carolina. You guys have become good friends and acquaintances with him. You've shared your story on his podcast. And he texted me and said, I've, you've got to have Greg and Kathy Bufkin on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. It's it, Their story is remarkable, and what they're doing out of it is remarkable. And so I know it's a devastating story. It's an awful story. It's, it's a painful story. It's something that none of us would Whatever wish to to go through, and yet I'm so encouraged in the the conversations that we've had, what God is doing in you and through you, and so I'm excited for our community to hear from you, um, and and just hear the tender parts of your story, and so, but before we dive into that, guys, I would love for you to just, uh, why don't you share a little bit with us, you know, help us get to know you right now, kind of your present day context, who you are, where where you're from, you know, what what you guys do, and then we can dive back into. Uh, your story and, and how you, you got to this place. Okay, sure.
3: Okay.
1: You
0: want to go first?
3: No, you go ahead. Okay.
1: <laughs> so um, <clears throat> Kathy and I live in South Carolina also. We're over in Florence, uh, close to Myrtle Beach. And we've grown up here, been here all of our lives. Uh, Kathy is a retired uh, school teacher, and I retired a couple of years ago as well. So, Chris and Kathy and I actually all went to the same church together for a while. New Spring, uh, out of the Florence campus, and that's how we got to know him when he was much younger. Before he uh, before his ministry even kicked off, so we have it's been really cool to see how God has worked in his life, and we're just thankful to to have that connection with him. Um, so, we. Um, right now we currently are being full-time grandparents, um, because our, our grandson and our daughter are in a transition time right now. And so we are hosting them in our home. So that keeps us pretty busy these days. And the empty chair endeavor between those two keeps us, keeps us on our toes.
3: Absolutely. Mm. Wow. (laughs)
0: Yeah. yeah, I I imagine grandparents, uh, the, the grandparenting phase I I hear is a a phase that everybody looks forward to. At least this is what my parents tell me because they get my kids and then they get to send them home. Right, right. right?
3: <laughs> well, right now we don't, we can't do that.
0: <laughs> and right now, you guys are not experiencing the bliss of being grandparents. You guys, <laughs> well,
3: we do, but it, but it's a full time job. You know, there so. It is. For right now, it is yeah. so, but it's but it's been yeah. it's been okay. It's worked out pretty good.
1: Yeah. We're re-experiencing yeah. what it's like to have an adolescent, a twelve-year-old mm-hmm. grandson. Forgot mm-hmm. how uh, crazy mm-hmm. that period of life is. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, and it's good to be reminded. That's why God typically gives children to young parents.
3: <laughs> for sure I believe it
0: I believe it you know we uh Christy and I talk about that all the time we're like man we are getting way too old for this and we're not that old, oh, 37 years old. and it's like I like man we how in the world are we gonna operate for another 18 years <laughs> We ask ourselves questions oh. like that a lot too.
3: <laughs> yeah, we were we were empty nesters for <laughs> we we were empty nesters for a good while, and uh, yeah. and then all of a sudden we weren't empty nesters anymore. So. Yeah. We
1: had a lot of unlearning and relearning to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, wow. Well, the empty chair endeavor is an an incredible ministry. And what I love about what you guys have done is you guys are in a season of life where many people would say, okay, I've worked for 40, 45, 50 years to kind of sit back and kick back and go play golf and just kind of, uh, you know, have, have my time and be selfish. And You guys have said, no, we're going to do something different. We're going to, as my, as my dad calls it, he's not going to retire. He's going to refire is what he says. You know, he's going to kind of, Find a new purpose, and you guys have done that. <laughs> yeah. um, but un- unfortunately, and, and like many of our stories, your purpose has come out of some really intense pain, and that's often what God does: is He galvanizes a a sense of a, kind of a white hot purpose in us through the crucible of pain. And so, I, I would love for you to to share with us some of your story on that. Why don't you kind of take us back to whatever you would say the beginning is and just uh, talk with me a little bit, share with our community what has happened in your life, and then we'll we'll kind of ask some questions from there.
1: Okay. Well, probably the best place to maybe to start, um, instead of going way back, uh, Ryan, our son, um, was... He married his, his fiance in 2013, and uh, he got a job in Charleston, South Carolina. So they, they were about two and a half hours away. She worked there as well. And um, I think in 20, early 2015, they had a little girl, Olivia, who is now seven years old, by the way, and is a, a female version of her daddy. And and that's and that's a good thing, yeah. But um, it was you know we had all kinds of October twenty fifth of twenty fifth of dreams and hopes of seeing Ryan stepping into that role as a, as a young dad, and unfortunately, that October team, Ryan, um, unbeknownst to us, um, had had left Florence and was on his way up to Michigan. And that was on a Thursday. And then that Sunday morning, Kathy and I were up in the mountains with a couple of friends of ours just for a weekend getaway. And that Sunday morning, as we were packing up to come home, I got a phone call. I was down in the lobby getting us some coffee, and I got a phone call that every parent lives in dreaded fear of. And on that phone call, I learned that Ryan had taken his own life at mid- around midnight. And, you know, to say that we were in shock is an understatement because we did not see it coming. Um, we, of course, Ryan is living... Two and a half hours away. He's married, so you know they don't they don't share everything with parents at that stage of life. But we had not gotten any anything to lead us to believe that Ryan was in trouble uh, in any way, emotionally or mentally, that would have resulted in him taking his life. Um, as a matter of fact, I talked to he was seeing a psychiatrist. He was seeing a counselor and a family doctor taking medications. He was doing the right things because he did battle with depression and anxiety. And And, um, it had seemed to have gotten a bit worse as he entered into his early 20s. But he was being treated. And when I spoke with his physicians, neither of them, said that they saw it coming in. They didn't see any signs. So I think Ryan kept an awful lot to himself. We learned a couple of years later some other issues that, some things that Ryan had experienced when he was younger that we did not know about, that we believe contributed to the depression and the anxiety. So there were things that he was battling that we didn't know about until after he had died. So we look back, um, over the course of the past six or seven years and we, if there, if there is a way to understand something like that at any level, we've seen things that we wish that we had, that we had seen when he was growing up, um, instead of attributing some of those issues to just being a teenager or to, you know, just being a, he was our challenging child. He knew no fear. And that resulted in, um, resulted in a lot of ER visits because he, (laughs) because he wasn't afraid to try anything. So it was to say it was a shock to lose him. It is an unbelievable understatement. Um, Mm -hmm. We were left totally in shock. We we really and truly just were totally unprepared and unequipped, ill-equipped to deal with that. But thankfully, God had already started preparing us, uh, unbeknownst to us. We had those friends there with us, so we were not alone when we got that phone call. Um, we had about a four-hour drive back home, and it was—believe me—it was the longest drive we have ever made. And how in the world we were able to do that is beyond me. Uh, I know how we did it. it. I think God was probably driving through me, but it's—it doesn't make—it really doesn't make any sense, Davy. But when. We got in the car to drive home. I can remember feeling this um, this sense of peace that just was not logical. It made no sense that I should be feeling that way. And as a matter of fact, I felt guilty for feeling that way because we just lost our son. But I know that God was in that car with us. He's always with us, but we I just sensed his presence through that piece in a way that I don't think I ever had before previously. When we drove up in the driveway, another couple, good friends of ours who were also part of this ministry, Warren and Christy Merck, before we could get out of our car, they were walking up behind us, and we got out of the car. They gave us big hugs. They helped get our luggage in the house and get us settled. And then they quietly left after a little while because other people started coming in gradually. And, you know, neither one of us could tell you a word that Warren and Christy spoke to us that day. But what we will never forget is that they were there with us. They gave us the gift of their presence and they did something practical for us. So... That's, that's how it all began. And so we've lived that loss now for October will be seven years. And um, we're thankful that we, Kathy we, and I both, were in a relationship with Jesus going into that. I can't imagine facing something like that without him. So he has carried us this, the whole way he's made a way for us when we didn't think there was a way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we wanted to, you know, it took a while, but we knew that we wanted to do something to honor Ryan. And we wanted to do something to help other people who were going through what we're going through or would in the future. And, we have the hope that as a parent, I can't imagine not having, because we know that Ryan is a believer also. And I I speak of him in the present tense, because we know that Ryan's more alive now than he was when he was here with us. And we know that we're gonna get to see him again one day. So we are so very thankful that you know, that Jesus stepped into his life when he was a little boy
0: wow guys how how old was Ryan
3: when he took he his was, own life he was 26 and wow. um, had a little 9 month old little baby and a beautiful mm-hmm. beautiful wife sweet sweet lady and uh, so yeah was um, wow He was a brand new daddy.
1: Too young.
0: Yeah. Hey, nothing is wasted, family. I wanted to interrupt this conversation for a brief moment to let you know about a powerful resource that we have available for you. It's called the Pain to Purpose Course. Now, I know many of you guys have heard of this, but in case you're new and you haven't heard of this, I wanted to make sure that you were in the know about this. Now, listen, if you were to ask me this one question, Davey, what's the most important, nothing is wasted resource that I should engage with? I would tell you, hands down, the Pain to Purpose Course is it. Thousands of people now have found tremendous healing and breakthrough in their valley by walking through this course. Now, it's emotionally and spiritually intense, but I promise you, it's well worth it. The Pain to Purpose course is an 11-video online course where I'll help you do four major things. Okay, the first one is this. I'll help you remove the debris of crisis in your life. So, like trauma, tragedy, major life transition. The second thing is I'll guide you through the steps of repairing the emotional, relational, and spiritual broken pieces that were left in the wake of your trauma. Third, I'm gonna lay out for you how to re-establish a firm foundation for a healthy and whole life. And finally, I'll help you discover and step into the missional and redemptive purposes God has for you out of your trauma. Over the past several years of hosting this podcast, I've noticed some things. No one's pain journey is the same. However, There are some common denominators that every pain-to-purpose story shares, and there are some common things that everyone who goes from tragedy to triumph have to do. So my team and I took those common denominators and we distilled them into an 11-video curriculum to give you the handles, or as we call them, waypoints that you'll need in order to walk through your unique pain journey. This course is essentially an entire year's worth of counseling condensed into 11 videos, and the fraction of the cost of counseling. I believe counseling is is very important to your healing journey. If the Pain to Purpose course had existed back when I lost my wife in 2015, I still would have sought counseling. But I wouldn't have had to have spent so much time or money with that counselor because I would have been light years ahead of things just from taking the Pain to Purpose course. So I'd love to invite you to begin accessing the course today. You can go to course.nothingiswasted.com To do that, again, that's course.nothingiswasted.com. And as a little bonus, I convinced my team to let me give you a discount. So right now, for a limited time, you can get $25 off the purchase of the course by using the promo code PODCAST at checkout. So again, that, that promo code is PODCAST. Maybe the course isn't something that you need right now, but... You do have an option to purchase it as a gift for someone in your life who does need it right now. So just make sure you select the gift certificate option while you're purchasing that. So again, that's course.nothingiswasted.com and use the code podcast to get $25 off. Now back to this conversation. You know, losing a child is, um, it's, it's the greatest fear, um, of any parent, you know, no matter how old uh, or young that child is. Um, and, and there's just no, there's, there's just nothing that you can compare that to. It's just so backwards from the, the way we would think the natural order of things are, you know, a father's not supposed to bury his son, a son's supposed to bury his father that even though death is one of those things that is a part of the fall and we don't, you know, the death is not a, it was not a part of God's plan originally, you know, in the perfection of the garden of Eden, there still is at least now in the, in the, Lit through the lens of death and view of death, we still have some kind of a natural progression that we would think things are supposed to go. And, and that, that when there's these senseless, untimely, tragic deaths like this, it, it provides a whole other layer of loss, you know, and and fear and uh, heartache and grief. And then, you know, as you guys have experienced, um, the reality of of your son dying by suicide and taking his own life. That's a, that's a whole other layer. Yeah. And I, I just wonder, you know, if you can kind of think back and, and think about that, just immediate aftermath, you know, I know that you were articulating the ministry of presence that your friends uh, met you with right there. And there was this, this unexplainable, illogical piece that passed all understanding right in that moment. Um, but I have to imagine that over the next several days, next several weeks, next several months, that there were these really dark, hopeless feelings that overcame you guys probably, probably feelings that said, are we ever going to emerge from this? Are we ever going to not feel this way anymore? Can you explain some of that uh, season for us? Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, You know, (sighs) Suicide is is such a difficult um, concept to handle. I mean, we, we were left with so many questions. I mean, just you know, just the fact that he was gone. But then you, but then you ask yourself, you know, why didn't we see this coming? What could we have done? Um, if this, if that, you know, I mean, just so many unanswered questions. Um, we didn't we didn't get to tell them goodbye. Um, so it, it, it's, it's just a very difficult thing to handle. And you have to it's something that you have to deal with minute by minute, because really for the first few days, weeks, really. I think I was just in a state of shock. Um, And, uh, you know, thank goodness we were surrounded by friends and, and family close by um, who could, who could minister to us and, um, and sit with us when there were absolutely no words to share. So um, yeah, we, we, we are very thankful from the very beginning uh when it happened we we God had already uh placed another couple with us, so we were not alone um when we got that phone call and then when we got home, we didn't even you know get into the house before there were you know uh, uh, another couple that were here to help us get through those first few moments of of coming back into our you know, our home. So yeah. um, God knew, and uh, He He had already started preparing the way. You know, for eventual healing for us.
1: Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It's <clears throat> it's it was a very surreal days and weeks because. Mm-hmm. You know that it's real, but it's it's almost like you don't want to accept the reality that you know you're facing, and you walk into something like that, as we talked about earlier, unprepared because it's not natural. You don't expect to lose your child or to to bury your child. That that should be the reverse order. And when you're suddenly faced with that, then you're you're faced with all of these responsibilities that are suddenly thrust upon you. Having to to plan a funeral, having to go and pick out your child's casket. Um we didn't have any of that ready we didn't have a a burial plot or any of that stuff and we also had to be we we're trying to be sensitive also to our daughter who is almost 10 years older than Ryan and at the time she you know she was married and had a um a child of her own and on top of that Ryan's wife was 25 years old, has a new baby, and she's got all these legal uh, things that she's got to get taken care of. So we tried to to walk along with her to get those things accomplished as well. And so we felt like, gosh, for so much of the time, David, we were just operating uh, by rote. I mean, it, it's like... We, we did what we had to do, but I can remember one of the things that was so hard for us was facing and having to make decisions of of any kind because it, we just felt emotionally and mentally paralyzed. It, it's just so hard to do anything other than sometimes just to feel like if you can just exist and breathe. And there are times when you really don't even, we really didn't care if we did live or not. We just wanted to be with Ryan. So it's a, I can't, um, it it really is, like we've said so many times to other people, it's an unspeakable loss Mm -hmm. because a lot of what you feel and experience it's almost impossible to put into words. Um, And if somebody hasn't been there, there really is not, there's really not a way that they can really grasp what you're going through. You know, they can be sympathetic, but they can't be empathetic unless they've been there. So sometimes it's hard to convey to them what you're going through. They, so many people want to help, but they don't know how to. Um, sometimes they're afraid if they say something, um, whether it's to ask how we're doing or to, to mention our child's name, that it's going to hurt us. Hmm. That it's going to make it worse somehow. But, you know, we've, we tell people all the time, take the risk and ask us. Um, because we've, we've been hurt at a level that I don't think any, any human being can be hurt at. Mm -hmm. So there's probably not a thing in the world that you can say that will hurt us any worse. So Mm -hmm. take the risk because honestly, um, one of the things that, that grieving parents love to hear is their child's name because one of the things that we fear the greatest is that people will forget our child Mm. and forget that he was ever even here and you know when the funerals over this is what was so hard for us it was it was a week in between Ryan taking his own life and the funeral because he was in Michigan. And so we had to wait for an autopsy and had to wait for his body to be flown back. So once that funeral is over, you know, most other, most everybody else, you know, family, friends, and just others that were at the funeral, they go back to. Their own world, to their jobs and their homes and their families, and life goes on. but for us, that's really when the grief journey started because it felt like our world was frozen in time
3: yeah you, know, you go to the grocery store and you know you you see these people you know <clears throat> going on with their normal lives, you know, and you're standing there going uh, my life will never be the same again. And, uh, yeah. So even things as simple as, as going to the store. In fact, for a long time, I, I, I could not do it. I would make it as far as the parking lot and have to turn around and come, come back home. So Greg had to go to the grocery store a lot by himself. I got
1: rather good at it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
0: Wow. You know, one of the things I remember experiencing that too, just this feeling of like, everybody seems to be going on with life and I'd go out in public and I would see people just like you described, Kathy. And I'm like, man, they have no idea what I've just walked through. No idea. And then all of a sudden the Lord kind of flipped that for me and, and, and help me to understand how many times have I gone to the grocery store and just gone about my business and yeah. not interacted or interfaced with anybody. Or if I did, it was just kind of a short interaction, not opening my eyes to be aware of, I wonder what these people are going through right now. Yeah. I wonder what life circumstances they're walking through right now. I wonder if, if there's a way I can be even just in this moment right here, can I be light in life? Can I be you know, the hands and feet of Jesus somehow to provide hope to a broken world. And that was a really pivotal kind of flip for me right there to go, man, to all of a sudden be aware of that. It's like, I wasn't, I wouldn't have been aware of that had I not gone through the loss of Amanda and been on that other side of it, you know? And I think there is that, you know, Greg, you said earlier, it's tough for people want to empathize with you, but they can only at best sympathize. It's, it's tough for them to really truly understand but one of the things that come out of loss is that we begin to grow in our levels of empathy. All of a sudden, we see the world differently. We see people differently. We begin to see and step into and enter into their brokenness, um, absolutely, uh, with a with a lot more empathy. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the internal works that God wants to do in us before He can do something through us. You know. With, with the empty chair endeavor you guys are doing something that is that is very outward focused and helping other people but you know between these two big stages the stage of that loss and that grief and that you know that initial crisis and this purpose that comes out of it there's this whole middle stage that sometimes lasts a long time where God is doing an inner work in you an inner work of healing to help you experience peace and wholeness again can you talk to me about some of the really pivotal and critical moments where God met you and and you and and you would say, hey, he he began to do this this work in us to heal us? Cause I think one of the fears that a lot of people have or 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 one of the the um the the thoughts or ideas that parents who have lost children have is there's no way I can be whole again. There's no way I can I, I can heal from this. This how in the world does God meet you in this? Can you guys share a couple of testimonies to the to the fact God God meets you in this? Yeah, and He heals you, and He works in He does a tremendous work in you. Are there some critical moments that you can think of?
1: Yeah, um, you don't. It's hard to see it at the time, as you well know, Davey. I mean, when mm-hmm. when you're in that fire, uh, you can't. It's really hard to to grasp the truth that, you know, Romans 8, 28 says that, that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to mm. his purpose. When you lose your, ch- when, when you lose a child, you can't possibly see anything good coming of that. Right. From, from our perspective. but, over time, as God started healing us, um, we realized that that Ryan was touching people's lives, even from heaven. Um, mm-hmm. Interestingly, not long after he died, within the first few weeks, his wife Catherine shared a um, a scripture verse. That Ryan had written in a, I guess it was like a little it daily a journal. journal, and it's uh, Isaiah forty-one thirteen, and he had handwritten it. So Kathy made several. I mean, she still does it occasionally. Uh, a note card with that that scripture handwritten, and she's just given it to to people that we know, and sometimes people that you know that we've met. And interestingly enough, and Ryan would be extremely proud of this, she actually had that scripture tattooed on her right arm. And she's probably the last person you would ever expect to see a tattoo <laughs> yeah. on. But Ryan had several of them. That's why I say that yeah. he would be proud because he he really liked tattoos. Yeah. So as God worked in us, we... We saw, we saw him giving us opportunities to share his story. I, I was very, very blessed that the company I worked for allowed me a couple of months off with pay. Mm. Um, and for that, we will always be very thankful. Yes. Because I don't think I could have gone back to work. And normally bereavement days were like three three or four. There's no way I could have done that. uh, because the job that I had, I was a pharmaceutical rep, so I was in front of physicians and their staff all day, every day. And you know, when you're in that those early stages of of grieving, sometimes you just all you really crave is peace and quiet. You don't wanna you don't wanna have to, to do anything that's uncomfortable. And there was nothing comfortable about going back to work. But most of the doctors that I called on I had called on for the better part of thirty years. And they some of them even knew Ryan because when he was little I would take him with me some days to, to work. And so they were very kind and sensitive and Um, very patient, Um, and they were constantly, they would ask about how Kathy was doing. So God was using that discomfort to heal me because I had to, I didn't have to, but I shared that story over and over and over, day after day. And so that helped speed some of that healing for me. That was not the case for Kathy because she had already retired at that point, so she had she spent a lot of time at home. Um, but thankfully, she was surrounded by the friends that we had been doing life with. Uh, we were part of a small group, and one of those couples was one of the the couple that was with us in the mountains that weekend. So we actually never stopped meeting. Um, Kathy had some shoulder surgery a couple of weeks after the funeral. And probably by, I think probably by late December, early January, we picked right back up and, and we met in our home. So we continued to do that because we needed that. Right. Right. We, we really needed that. I, that's one thing that I would tell people who are listening today um, that are in the same place that we are. Um, that's one of the that's one of the things that God used in a very significant way to help with, with our healing um, and just being able to, to understand that we could continue to do life just in a in a different way
3: Um, yeah we we um struggled in fact we we did not go back to church for probably a couple of months i guess because being in a crowd was just uh i mean we just absolutely could not impossible do it um And then when we did start going back, we would go and sit at the very back and we'd come in late and we would leave early. Um, But we did, we kept meeting with our, with our small life group. And uh, in fact, uh, a new couple joined our group uh, probably in that February Mm -hmm. after Ryan died in October. Um, A couple from church joined our group and the other couples in the tr- in the group had had known Ryan, or at least had met him. Um, this couple had not, of course, um, but we got to be very close friends, and they um, would always ask questions about Ryan. Wanted us to share stories <clears throat> about Ryan. Um,
1: which we loved.
3: Which we absolutely loved doing. We laughed a lot because a lot of things Ryan did were funny, maybe not <laughs> funny at the time. But, you know, after after years, when you retell those stories, they're pretty funny. But um, anyway, so, you know, and to this day, they – Go at the beginning of every month and put fresh flowers on his grave, um, and they never even knew him, but they feel like they do. Wow! Yeah, they feel like he is the son they never had.
1: They actually told us that.
3: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that you know, God, God just continues to surprise us just with little things like that. You know, even even now. Yeah. This is pretty
0: cool Hey friends, I wanted to take a quick minute to make you aware of a really cool opportunity going on here in a couple of weeks, especially for you Midwest residents. So if you live around the Chicagoland area, on Tuesday, August 9th, The Christian recording artist Blanca and Forest City Worship will be hosting a benefit concert now this is not just any old concert this is a party in fact it's called praise party in the park it's taking place in Hoffman Estates Illinois so in the Chicagoland area tickets start at just $25 now the coolest part of this praise party is that every single dollar that comes in from ticket sales goes to support a partner ministry of ours That ministry is called the Baton Pass. Now, you may remember Kelly Olson back in episode 190 of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, talking about her story and sharing about this ministry that she heads up. In this ministry, they believe there is power in your story. Sounds a whole lot like nothing is wasted. So it's definitely a ministry that we want you to tune into. The Baton Pass hosts first-class events within the community in which women can hear stories from other women who have overcome what they are currently facing. Now, I just recently had an incredible conversation with Blanca, the Christian performing artist that was nominated for Female Artist of the Year by the K-Love Fan Awards. Likely have heard her song with Dante Bow called The Healing. She just released an incredible song that's sure to get your summer vibes going called New Day. Definitely want you to check her out on Spotify or Amazon Music. And we'll be airing my conversation with Blanca the last week of August. But in the meantime, if you want to enjoy a beautiful summer night in the Chicagoland area while supporting a ministry that we believe in, get your tickets today for the Praise Party in the Park. VIP tickets are going quickly, so visit gopromoters.com. Again, that's G-O promoters, gopromoters.com to get your tickets now. The link to gopromoters.com will be in the show notes here as well. All right, back to the interview. a few things you mentioned there that i think are very notable um you know one of it one of one of which greg you you said that you were kind of forced to um talk quite a bit about ryan you know and share the story and so it expedited or you feel like it expedited your healing in some ways and I think that that lines up with my experience as well. It lines up with everything that I've heard other people say too. Is that there's typically one of two responses in the midst of grief. You either, you know, internalize and just kind of uh, suppress it and hold on to it and don't talk about it, and that tends to prolong the process of grief. Whereas when you begin to externalize it somehow, even Kathy, is, as you were saying, you know, sharing stories of Ryan and laughing and you know, um, remembering. And some of those things, as you begin to process those out loud, it does something really powerful, both physically we've found now in the science of, you know, the healing of the brain and the healing of the, uh, when I say heart, I mean, you know, a little bit more of the emotions, right? Um, so we, we, it does something both physically to heal and rewire as, as well as something spiritually, which are obviously those things are very much interconnected as we're holistic people. And so, we, that's what we talk about all the time. We help people, you know, with the pain to purpose course and nothing is wasted to find a safe space and a safe group of people that you can externalize these things that you can talk about, uh, your loss and your grief and your emotions and your pain. And that's something that's very counter to our nature. It's something we don't want to do often. Um, it's something that we don't want to bring up. And yet, as you were saying, Greg, you know, it, it does help to, to, um, make that, that grieving process a a little bit shorter. Um, and and that doesn't mean that you're healed by the end of it. Right. But it just means that it, it's like continually putting a healing salve on that wound. And that's, that salve is able to really bring that wound to a place where it's no longer an open flesh wound a lot quicker because you're bringing air to it. Right. I I liken it to, like a like i said just like a like a wound on your body when you if you cover it up all the time it's not going to heal right it's right. only when you bring air to it you know and in that strategic times that you allow it to kind of open up and 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 that air touches it that it begins to 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 heal and and that's the same thing for our grief it, we've got to let kind of bring it out to the open. We've got to air it out. And then we've mm-hmm. got to have as scripture, right? Scripture talks about the breath of God, the the ruach or the numa is the holy spirit. And so we've got to let the holy spirit do his work, that breath, that air on, on that wound. wound, and that's what begins to help to heal our hearts.
1: Right. But you part of that is and you know this as well, it, it's about making the choice to do that. It, Mm. it doesn't come naturally. Um, it, it would be so much easier to give in to the grief, to the pain and the, the, just the overwhelming emotions and the physical aspect of it as well. And you could, it seems to me that it would, it could be extremely easy to just pull completely inward and to shut yourself off from other people because it would be the easier path. And as I mentioned earlier, that's kind of the path that, that you want in those, and especially in those early weeks and even months of grieving, you just, you you want to take the path of least resistance because Mm -hmm. you're tired of hurting and you, like you said, you, You fear that you're not going to ever feel better again and that life will never be good again. So you do have to, with God's help, you do have to take steps towards healing. Uh, It's like like our counselor told us early on, there's no right or wrong way to grieve, but there certainly are healthy and unhealthy ways to grieve. And Mm. so... We've shared part of of what was healthy for us and the friends that were around us, as well as Kathy and I chose to go to counseling um uh, for I think we probably went for about three and a half years mm-hmm. wow.
3: yeah and and our daughter Whitney um, still sees a counselor, so um that is that is extremely helpful um you know and and in losing a child moms and dads handle grief very differently True. there are a lot of similarities but there's a lot of differences um you know i was not working at the time so i did spend a lot of time at home uh that first year after ryan died i kept a journal not not really a journal i would write i would write letters to ryan um and i think that that kind of helped me get through some of the really, really rough days um because I would just sit down and journal. I have a hard time doing it now, but I still have that year's worth of of letters that that I wrote to uh Ryan and so there are different ways that pe- you know that people handle grief, and anybody who tells you that you should or shouldn't do this. Or that, um,
1: yeah,
3: not, not too helpful. No, not too helpful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. We, uh, excuse me, Greg, I love the way that you said that, you know, that there's, there are, um, healthy and unhealthy ways, right? There's no Right. right wrong, but there's healthy and unhealthy. We say it this way that there's a, um, there's no one right way to grieve and to heal, but there are a thousand, uh, wrong ways. And, and, you know, it's a similar concept. I I see what you're saying where there's no right and wrong, but there's healthy and unhealthy because there's a lot of unhealthy ways that we can absolutely our grief.
1: And it's, it's easy to understand why sometimes people can get stuck there and they, they want, they want to make that pain better. They want to do, yeah. you want to do something to help make that pain go away. And it's easy to understand why sometimes grieving parents will turn to, um, to substances, uh, whether it right. be prescription drugs or whatever they can find to, to try to put salve on that, on that pain. And yeah. that's one of those unhealthy ways that, that you can grieve, especially if you don't have somebody in your life who can come alongside you and help you maybe just help nudge you towards something more, um, something healthier. And Mm -hmm. just the fact that they're grieving with you, you know, we're told in scripture that to help carry each other's burdens. And that's, that's part of, of how you, you heal because we, I don't think we were really wired by God to carry this kind of suffering by ourselves uh, because he never intended for us to do life alone to begin with. So when we, when we come alongside other people that helps in the healing process um, to, to take the healthy steps to, in grieving, it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago. It, it's about taking the, the harder way and choosing to do things that you know will be better but that don't feel necessarily all that good at the time. Um, yeah. So that's one of the reasons that... Um, that we wanted to do something that led to the empty chair endeavor being established. Um, I, after I retired that's that was the summer of 20 uh, when the world shut down because of COVID. Mm. So, um, I had some time that summer and I sat down over the course of probably better part of a couple of months and just started recording, some of our journey, some of the things that we found that were beneficial and helpful along the way, and some things that I know that you experienced because I've read some of the things that, that you've written, things that weren't so helpful, mm. that people intend for good, but because they haven't been there and maybe they don't have a um, a real understanding of what grieving the loss of a child looks like, because most people don't really have a, I think you would probably agree, I'm not sure, but they don't really have an understanding of the impact. And when I say impact, I think most people have a tendency to interpret that as the emotions, you know, the sadness, um, the just primarily emotional, but what people don't realize is that there is very, very much a physical impact. There is a mental impact. There's a spiritual impact. Um, we know now that, um, that there are studies that have shown that people who have lost a child, um, sometimes will experience what's called prolonged grief disorder where it's almost like getting stuck. It's actually now recognized by the American Psychiatric Association as a recognized mental health disorder. And it actually was recognized and put in their diagnostic manual a couple of months ago in March. Um, wow. That, a lot of times, is the result of a very traumatic loss, such as an accident or homicide, suicide, things like that. Um, it can affect other parents as well, but it tends to be more pronounced and more common in parents who, who have experienced the, you know, that very traumatic, traumatic sudden loss.
3: Right.
1: And then yeah. there are sometimes PTSD symptoms show up, particularly again with those types of losses. Um, We've all heard of broken heart syndrome um, where people, you know, we've heard people that said somebody died of a broken heart happened with the um, with the husband of one of the teachers in Uvalde. And that is, that is a very real medical condition. It's also known as stress cardiomyopathy. And it, Mm -hmm. a lot of times those folks present at an ER with heart attacks, classic heart attack symptoms. Fortunately, most people, um, most people survive that they get better within a few days to a few weeks, but sometimes they actually have to be treated with, um, with blood pressure medications, with anti-anxiety drugs. Sometimes they actually have to go to cardiac rehab because that, uh, that actually weakens the heart muscle to the point where they have to go through rehab mm.
3: that kind of trauma yeah. um actually does affect the muscle of the heart and so um and in, in the case of this uh husband of the teacher you know he he didn't he didn't survive yeah. um and that happens that happens, and it's a it's a real thing, and um, I think it's more I think it's more prominent in uh, it's very pr- prevalent um, with mothers who have lost True. children, um, and it presents itself as a as a an actual heart condition.
1: Yeah, and studies have also support the fact that. Um, I know I saw one study that indicated that 18 years after having lost a child, that a lot of surviving parents actually have higher levels of anxiety, um, more depressive episodes, um, overall, uh, and overall less, Oh, what's the, how, how, how should I put this? Their overall health and well-being takes a hit, even for the long term. Does it happen to everybody? The intensity is different for everybody. But that's what we, we want people to understand that are looking in from the outside, that this is not just something that is a passing emotional phase. So if they're not feeling better within three or four months, there's not, there's not something wrong with them. This is, this is normal and to be expected. But I think sometimes people who don't understand want us to get better. They want the old us back, the people that they hung out with and that they knew that we had had good times together with. They yeah. sometimes want to speed our healing, and so sometimes yeah. they will. Um, they will make suggestions or they will offer to to do something that they think will help.
3: Which is there's nothing wrong with that. Right, There's nothing wrong with that. But it, it's it's not something that you um, eventually get over. Does it heal with time? Does it get a little easier with time? Absolutely. It does. Um but it never it never ever goes away and you never you are never ever the same. Um it's it's life before Ryan died and life since Ryan's been gone. Um and I think sometimes it's real easy for people looking from the outside to to think, wow, you know, it's been what six and a half years now, um, you know? And, and yes, you do. You do get more and you you do get more involved. You do start f- feeling better. You for me, and I think probably for most moms, you do go through the days where you don't cry all day long. Um, where in the beginning, that's that's pretty much the way it is. Um, and And you get to the point where you can discuss these things um a little bit easier uh you know, but greg doesn't have a greg's doesn't have a problem with um talking before a in front of a crowd not not much anyway now, but um I still can't do it i just i don't know that I ever will be able to do it because I still tend to get very emotional. Um, So, you know, it's just, it's a matter of uh, giving yourself the grace to, to grieve uh, at your own, you know, at your own pace. That's great.
0: Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah, it's amazing that we underestimate the toll that grief takes on so many other aspects of our life. Mm. It's not just an emotional thing, but again, we are whole people. And not only that, we are also interacting with other whole people. Um, and I guess by whole, I mean even in our brokenness, right? I don't mean the like contrary to brokenness. I mean we are a, a holistic being. There's multiple aspects and facets to our to our um our well-being and and and, and it also affects how we interact with other people particularly in situations like this, you know, guys, I'm sure you're very aware of how a secondary loss to child loss can often be divorce because it yeah. takes such a huge toll on marriages, but presents a major stressor on marriages for a lot of different reasons. You know, you're at different uh, phases or pl- places or paces in your grieving process with each other um, it, it, or than each other. And so it, it can cause this kind of feeling of we're not on the same page or, you know, not, not sure how to align yourselves as one flesh in marriage in this grieving process. How how have you guys, um, been able to protect your marriage in this, in this whole that's, journey?
1: That's a good observation. Um, I think there, there is a, um, there is a general understanding that, uh, exactly what you said, Davy, that, that this can tear marriages apart. And I, I think that that probably has something to do with the state of the marriage, uh, the health of the marriage going into a loss like that. Um, if yeah. there are cracks in the marriage already, as it were, then I think mm-hmm. that marriage is probably at a much higher risk than one that's healthy going into it. I actually read some statistics on that because I was curious about it when I started doing some research a couple of years ago. And what I discovered is that, um, that there is a myth that more marriages fail after the loss of a child. The truth, where that actually came from was a book that was written back, I believe it was in the 70s, mm-hmm. by a, um, a writer who had experienced the death of a child. And she shared some statistics that, were, it, that indicated a very high uh, divorce rate. And she never did actually state her, um, her sources. So mm. since then there have been some studies done looking at the divorce rates for people that have not lost a child compared to those who have. And believe it or not, the statistics actually bear out, um, that it's not anywhere near as prevalent as was, was thought. I believe that the, that the divorce rate that I saw from three different sources was actually somewhere between sixteen and twenty percent. They all pretty much wow. agreed. If you look at the the average divorce rates across the country, whether whether they're believers or not, it's around fifty percent. And so, looking at a at a twenty sixteen to twenty percent uh, divorce rate actually seems to indicate that that the loss of a child can pull that couple closer together. And I would say for, for us, uh, we had been married for 39 years, I believe, when we lost Ryan. Mm-hmm. So we've, we just celebrated our 45th anniversary this year. And I think, I think we both would agree that our, our marriage is stronger now than it was before. And I think some of that is because you, you know, your heart breaks for your mate. You know, I, I. it's hard enough as a dad losing your son, but knowing that, that your child was actually a part of your, of your wife's body when she was carrying him. And we went through a lot of infertility issues between Whitney and Ryan. And we didn't, there was a period of about five or six years where we really weren't sure that we were ever going to be able to have another child. So Kathy went through a lot with surgeries and taking medications to help with fertility and and that sort of thing. And we lost a couple of babies through miscarriage. Um. So, what it does to a mom's heart is just unthinkable. And so you're, you know, you, I think it just, it particularly if you both have a relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. I think you, like you said a few minutes ago, you become more empathetic with other people. And of course that, that starts with your mate. And yeah. so I believe that, that God through all of that, Pain and suffering that that we went through was using that to draw us even closer together to help both of us to walk through the the darkest period of of our lives, the darkest period of our marriage, without any question.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, did did you know? Did we struggle? That yeah, of course. There were times yeah. when. When we struggled, but I cannot imagine having gone through um, this, you know, without him and uh, without my relationship with the Lord. And, uh, you know, a part of our, a part of this ministry, a part of the empty chair endeavor also includes the siblings. Um, We have watched Mm -hmm. our, our, our daughter's marriage. Um, deteriorate because she was not allowed to grieve um, in a normal way. Um, to begin with, her her heart was trying to keep us from sinking, and so she felt very responsible for the two of us. Um, little did we realize that she was so terribly devastated. And just experiencing really uh devastating loss and emotions, and uh, her her uh, mate uh, was was not present. present in those moments and did not give her the support um and the love and the care and the grace that she needed during that so. Um, you know, siblings are often referred to as the uh, the forgotten Mourner. mourners. So um, that is that is a part of our a part of our ministry, and our daughter Whitney uh, wants to become more and more involved as her her life kind of settles down a little bit, and uh, she's able to do that.
0: Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, it's so good. That It's so good to bring up because I've experienced that as well, that siblings can feel a little bit left out in the whole process or lost in the process. Yeah. Um, by the way, I'll just say this. If you're listening to this, you're watching this on YouTube. We just recently did an a, a interview with John Onwuchekwa, who lost his brother, and he, he talks about that quite a bit. So I would definitely... Refer you over to that episode if you are you have experienced the loss of a sibling and you're looking for some solidarity there and and some hope and some comfort and how God shows up in those spaces as well. You know, Greg and Kathy, I have uh, uh, you know I want to I want to talk about the the Empty Chair Endeavor and what you guys are doing with that. I have one more like and, and I know we're like coming close to to time and that's okay. I I want to take the 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 time to ask these questions because these are questions that people are really. They're really wondering, I mean, they're, they're struggling with, they're wrestling with, and, um, and so I want to make sure we get to hear from you on these things. I have one more question before we dive into, you know, what the empty chair endeavor is and what you guys do. But, um, that, that question is this, it relates to loss, loss by suicide. Um, because that again is a very delicate and complex loss. There's many layers to that. And I think one of the most predominant things that I'm hearing from people who have experienced that is their struggle with feelings of guilt. Um, You guys articulated that at the beginning. There's a lot of what-if questions that happen. There's a lot of what-if questions that happen in loss in general, right? Right. Just, could I have changed something about the outcome of this? And that happens in loss in general, but it certainly happens at an added level Uh, with loss by suicide. And so I guess my question is, is how have you guys wrestled through that and, and found peace in those inevitable questions that are, that arise?
1: Yeah, that, that is, that's a very good question, Davey. Um, It's one that we didn't think we would ever face. Um, You know, that happens to other people. Wasn't going to happen to us. And so when it does happen, yeah, it, I mean, it's devastating enough to lose your child period. But when you add that layer of complication to it and a whole different layer of, of hurt and pain, because like Kathy said earlier, we never got to say goodbye to Ryan. We, we thought we were going to have a lot more opportunities uh, a lifetime of just doing life with him and so when that happens you know you you go to bed one night and you your child is still with you you wake up the next morning and your child is gone and you're left with trying to put together some some semblance of of a life on the other side of this loss. And as you said, it leads, it just leads a a lifetime of unanswered questions. And, you know, you, you wrestle with, um, questions like you said, what did we miss? Was there something that we should have noticed? Had, Had we been paying better attention, um, what kind of pain must he have been going through to take his own life? And so you do, it does produce feelings of guilt. Um, Maybe we weren't the kind of parents that we thought that we were. Maybe we didn't do as good a job as we thought that we were doing. And so eventually you there. There's the, that guilt, but then there's the guilt of surviving when, you're, when your child has died. And then eventually, you know, we talked about being able to continue to do life again with these, these people that God had put in our lives that we just absolutely love and adore. And through them, we were able to do quote-unquote normal things again. And feel normal for, you know, for a little while while they were with us. And then you find yourself feeling guilty for feeling good, for laughing when your child has died. Because you, you know, you're thinking, I shouldn't, I shouldn't feel this good. How, How can I feel this good when I've lost my son? So... Suicide it, it 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 leaves so many so many doors that that will never be that will never be closed. It, you know we we wrestled with um how do we ever get peace from this? Um, because there was far more of the unknown than the known, and it's. It's just one of those things that it it really takes wrestling with uh, with God in prayer about um, because you it it's almost like your brain isn't wired to deal with that, mm-hmm. and so you're having to you're having to learn to walk through something that just seems completely foreign in every respect. So, you know, from a personal perspective, it was, it was God taking that heaviness every day um, and allowing us to have some sense of peace about it that, again, doesn't make sense at times. But, it's, it's a long process, Davy. It doesn't, you know, you don't, that doesn't get better overnight. Does it get better in a few weeks or a, even a few months? Uh, because that is one of those added extra traumatic layers that, that comes on top of just
0: having lost your child. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah 100%. Yeah. yeah. Makes absolute yeah. sense. And Uh, and, there's there's, go ahead, Kathy. Sorry.
3: Sorry. And, uh, you know, just one of the one of the blessings that God has given us is that we we do have Olivia. And every time we look at her, we see Ryan. Yeah. And that is such a blessing that that a lot of parents who experience losing a child don't have that um so we are very thankful that um that he's given us Olivia
1: and very thankful that that God has allowed for us to have a continuing relationship with our daughter-in-law who has since remarried but you know a lot of times that gets lost after after losing an adult child but we're very thankful that Catherine has chosen to to stay in a relationship with us so that we can have a relationship with, with Olivia.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I think one of the things that loss has shown me is, is just a, an increased awareness of an emphasis on the sovereignty of God. You know, I I write about, uh, there's a chapter in my, in my book, nothing is wasted that, you know, hopefully is releasing this fall. I write about the guilty feelings that you that you encounter when it comes to any kind of grief. It's the, you know, the guilt of survivorship, the guilt of wondering if you could have changed the outcome. If you had done one little thing, how could that have like changed the wrinkle of effects that, you know, that that brought about this and you can, you can, uh, tailspin emotionally, mentally, you know, in, in those thoughts and you come to a place where you, you know, at least for me, I had to, come into an increased awareness of the sovereignty of God, that he is sovereign over all things. Um, And what's interesting about that is what seems like it would be mutually exclusive to that concept is the fact that we also have agency within our grief journey, that we have the ability to take obedience, steps of obedience when God calls us to, that we're not completely out of control. It's like both of those things I became increasingly aware of that, yes, God is completely sovereign. And there are so many things about the the story arc that I just could not change. There's no way that I had control over those things. And at the same time, there are things that I have agency over that, you know, God is asking me to do moving, moving forward in this. Yeah. And so that it becomes this dilemma. But when you find the tension between those two things, it really helps to bring a lot of peace.
1: Yeah. It shatters that illusion that, that you do have the level of control that you think you do right and, and realizing that even in those darkest moments that um that God is indeed sovereign, and also reminding us uh, because sometimes this will come up in um, in the course of that that grief journey from other people um, that that somehow people try to comfort us thinking that uh, that God took our child, um mm. needed another angel. Um, you know, it was. You, you know all the things you you've heard yeah. it too.
0: Yeah.
1: But we we know that God gives us free will, and He allows us to make choices and decisions that He will not violate. It breaks His heart sometimes because of the choices that that we make, but He yeah. still allows us to do that, and that we believe that. In that moment, when Ryan had decided to to end his life, that God was right there with him, and it broke his heart when Ryan made that decision. But in the in the blink of an eye, God caught him, yeah, and he took him home, and so, yeah you know, you when you try to wrestle through all of that, you know, logically, mentally, you know, because we know what scripture tells us about all of this, but it's just trying to blend your emotions together with what you
0: know. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Well, I'd love, you know, as we, as we kind of come to a close in this conversation, I'd love for you guys to share about the empty chair endeavor. Tell us, What are you guys doing with that? What's the aim? I know when we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, um, there was just this burning holy discontent that I could see coming out of you as you were explaining it to me. So talk to me about what is the Empty Chair Endeavor? What are you guys hoping uh, for uh, with, with that organization, with that ministry as it moves forward? Thank you. Yeah,
1: so the Empty Chair Endeavor actually is a proactive equipping ministry there are a lot of bereavement ministries and a lot of people are doing it really well but what we saw was kind of a void between parents who have and siblings who have lost a child and being able to to move forward in that grief journey the people that are looking in from the outside, this is it's sort of been a thread in the conversation that we've had this morning. They want to help. They want to do something. But a lot of times they're just at a complete loss for what that looks like. So what we want to do is to to provide that perspective of what the impact of the death of a child looks like on those survivors and then to be able to provide them with some tools and resources to help them become better prepared because we we believe that from what we've seen and observed over these last years is that we don't come equipped or prepared to deal with stuff like this and I think even in the church we don't necessarily do a real great job of preparing people for things that are inevitable. It's not a matter of if things like this are going to happen. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen. And a lot of times we find that people are very reactionary in the church and outside the church. When it happens, we respond. But if you're not equipped and you're not prepared for how to respond, that's when it leaves you feeling very uncomfortable with what to do or with what to say. And we believe that just with a little bit of help, um, I think people can go into, walk into a home more confident knowing what to do, what not to do, um, God told me recently um, to take a look and read through the book of Job because I had done all this other research online from, from other secular sources. And when I, when I started reading through that book, just the first two or three chapters, and I had read this before, but I hadn't read it before because I was looking at it through a new lens. And what I realized is that in that book, there are a lot of it's a it's a very uh, a very accurate story of how those friends of job took the initiative to make a plan to get together and go to job and try to help him mm. and when they did one of the first things they did and they got it so right they simply gave him the gift of their presence for seven days and nights they were with him they didn't speak they just simply sat with him and and that's what we want people to understand you don't have there are no magic words right you we typically won't remember what you said anyway but what we will remember is that you came and gave us your presence um, we, so that's, that's primarily what we do because we bring their three couples, Warren and Christy Merck and, uh, Kevin and Donna Jordan. The Mercks lost their daughter, um, in December of 20. And the Jordans lost their son in, uh, February of 21. So we have, there are three unique stories, but, We're united with one very unique hope, and that hope is the Lord Jesus. And so in that, we just want people to understand that there is hope, not on the other side of this, because there is no other side of it, but there is hope in it, and there is life in it. Um, A physician friend of mine told me several years ago who had lost his wife, he said, it's like learning how to live with an amputation yeah. because that limb is no longer there, but sometimes you actually feel it, it's the, the false sensory information that it's right. still there. Yeah. So I thought that was a great analogy. So what yeah. we want to do is to just help prepare and equip others so that they can be compassionate and effective in their ministry, we do this through a website that we established back several months ago. There's a lot of information in there about right and wrong ways. There's um, we're at getting ready to add a section of dealing with the the impact that we talked about earlier and what others can do to come alongside them. Uh, there's a section on siblings. Mm-hmm. We also have a Facebook private group <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a public page as well. Wow.
3: Yeah, we, we, um, you know, we, we kind of started this. I mean, we knew from the beginning, uh, not too long after Ryan passed <clears throat> away, we, you know, we wondered if there was something that we could do Um and the And one of the purposes is not not just to honor the memory of of the the three children, Ryan and Chandler and paul uh but to also bring glory to God because he has taken a tragedy, a terrible traumatic event, and he can somehow bring glory to himself um through these stories and through um just, you know, what what we're doing. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> wow. And we wow. what the <clears throat> scripture that we have attached under our logo is Romans twelve fifteen, that celebrate with those who celebrate and grieve with those who grieve. Mm-hmm. And we believe that's part of our responsibility is to to come alongside other people. And help carry those those burdens and walk with them, you know. Pray with them, pray for them, but don't just do things like that at a distance. Do it up close and personal, and just let them know that you haven't forgotten their child, and <clears throat> that you're not in this alone. That you know we're with you for the long haul, because it wow. it is a you know it is a long haul, and yeah. so we we also would you know we would invite opportunities to go and speak with people uh, whether it's a small group of people or a large group of people we just want to get the message out we want to help other people and that's yeah. the primary reason we exist
0: yeah no it's it's wonderful cuz there's there's small groups and large groups of people all over the country and all over the world who have found themselves as you know someone in their group or someone in their <clears throat> their close proximity part of their community who have lost someone lost a child lost a sibling lost a parent lost a spouse and they they don't know what to do they want to rally around but they don't know how to right and so what you guys are doing to help equip and resource those groups of people are just it's just phenomenal and um I'm excited for what God does with the empty chair endeavor and and really just a a remarkable and inspiring thing to see how you guys are taking your pain and you're channeling it toward a greater purpose that I know Ryan would be very proud of, you know, as, as he has a whole new perspective, he's at the feet of Jesus, has a whole new perspective on life, on his life, on your life, on the world, on the gospel and all of those things. Now I'm sure he is, um, if God is giving him a window into this, he is looking at what you guys are doing and he's so proud and, um, and excited for, for what, what God's going to do through this ministry. So guys, I just appreciate you spending some time with us and sharing with us out of the vulnerability of your heart and your story and really helping us. I think every one of us who have listened to this, we're walking away from this conversation where we feel more equipped, we feel more inspired, we feel more hopeful. And so thank you for doing that, even in the midst of just horrific tragedy and pain that you've walked through. Well, thank you.
1: Thank
3: you for the opportunity.
0: Very much, thank you, Davey. Man, an incredible couple.
2: Oh wow! Uh,
0: just a hor a horrible yeah uh, story and pain point that they've. But man, I'm just so encouraged by them. Me too. And what they've what they've done to partner with God to take back their story. I that's mean,
2: literally, they're like is. nothing is wasted. Yeah, exactly. Partnering
0: with God to take back their story, and and that's um that's what we want for you guys too. Yeah. You know, we've got. I told you that Greg and Kathy are interacting on our community platform. We've got other folks who are asking questions. Uh, Aubrey and I told you that we would like to answer those questions and be able to interact with you. This is a wonderful opportunity that we have. You know, our coaches are also there, and they're um. They're answering questions via text, right? They're like chatting in the forums and they're answering questions. Which I love.
2: It's so cool.
0: Which is so great because you're hearing from people who have walked through it. Um, Mm -hmm. But Aubrey and I love to be able to dialogue with you guys about this. And on a podcast, we only get to dialogue with ourselves. Right. Each other, right and now it's cool that this almost feels like we're dialoguing with you and so yeah, I encourage this. you to ask those questions on the community platform right there on the general discussion feed and um and we'll do our best to answer mm-hmm. them and uh Aubrey I've got one right here I'm going to go ahead and kind of hey. read through it Let's and it. uh and, and and let you talk through it first then I'll kind of give my thoughts Davy and okay. Aubrey my nephew Dimitri's death was devastating to my whole family mm. obviously most to my sister and brother-in-law I started listening to your podcast about a month after, and now a little over a year later, I find myself losing patience or probably better stated, mentally exhausted with trying to be a support for my sister. Hmm. I, along with a few others in the family, have been very intentional with our grief journey, and I'm finding myself guilty of some of the things you have talked about on uh, when are you going to move forward type questions. Yeah, I'm grieving, but my sister is broken, and I acknowledge that. But she has continued to say she needs to be in her cave, not seeking outside help. I can only relate to her pain on a certain level, but how do we continue to support each other as we are on different grief journeys? How do we help each other take steps forward without, refor- without forcing those steps? And how do families navigate a shared pain? Ooh, this mm. is a big question. How do families navigate a shared pain yeah. when some are yeah. willing to seek counseling or, or outside support and others deny it.
2: Lots of good, lots of good, lots of good stuff to unpack here. Lots of good stuff. I, I would say one, I appreciate this person's vulnerability and willingness to say like, I almost like I feel frustrated at what's going on and how my sister's grieving. And I think that's really, really honest because I would say many of us, have watched how our loved ones have grieved and wished it looked different or was different, or we don't think they're doing what they should be doing. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I think sometimes we don't want to admit that, but that's really, really honest. So I appreciate this person's vulnerability so much. Thank you for bringing all this up. Um, I, let me say a few things, Davey, and I would love to hear what you would say, but a few things came to mind, um, just with each of the statements and I think that one of the things that struck me was um, I started listening to your podcast and now a year later, I find myself losing patience. And I don't know if that means Dimitri died a year ago. Okay. So yeah, yeah. let me be clear that I don't, I, I might be missing the timing about right. that. But I would say if it's been about a year or so, the first year of grief, especially if you've lost a child, yeah. a spouse- is literally fog. Like mm-hmm. I don't know I mean, Davey, you and I have talked about this before. Like if you remember in a few like a few months after your loved one died to take a shower, that feels like a victory. Like, oh Absolutely. I okay, I remember how to use shampoo. Yep, and and sometimes if you're not the center of the grief yourself, it can be yeah. really hard to realize the amount. Like there's like grief tasks that have to be done in the first right. year and then there's grief fog. Yeah. And so it is really only after the first year that like I would say like even a deeper grief sets in because now there aren't sure. the tasks to keep you busy. Yep. Now the fog is starting to settle. And so then grief h- begins to hit each yeah. new holiday, each new event each new each new season, each yep. new i mean it and so i i I guess I would say for this person's sister, like if it and again, I might be reading this wrong, but if it's really only been a little over a year, yeah. that's barely scratching the surface of what grief means, especially right, right. for someone losing a child, so I would I, you know, I'm not ten. I'm not one to give advice, but I would say probably like you need to give your sister a lot more grace and not yeah. expect. I think the hard part is we can't expect anyone to grieve on our timeline. Exactly. Like, yeah. Once we're doing that, we're putting ourselves in the place of of God or yeah. authority, and everyone one grieves differently. Yeah. I mean, everybody grieves differently. It, like
0: across the board. It, I
2: everybody. mean, it's almost like the uniqueness of God in our grief. Like everyone grieves so differently. Yeah. And everyone takes a different amount of time right. to grieve. I mean, my, you know, my aunt lost her son Cameron and it's been, uh, gosh, seven, eight years now. And it's not like the pain, day to day she's okay, but it's not like the pain is different. Yep. And there are days when she still needs to be in her cave. And yeah. you, you just have to allow the grieving person to do yeah. that as yeah. long as they need to, really. Yeah. And now I think this goes back to a conversation we've had in an earlier episode too, Davy, about... um. Self-care though, like that doesn't mean you can't do your own healthy Absolutely. grief journey yeah. and you do what you need to do, what's right for your own soul, but you're not going to be able to force your sister like right. out of her cave, out the door. You can do a lot of praying, a lot of loving, a lot of right. empathy. And I would just say one more thing, and then I want you to speak to this, Davy. but you know, the, the hard part with shared grief is that there's still the, the main center of grief Like if you think about grieving as like concentric circles, there's the griever, like the one in the middle who is the most impacted, most most affected by it outside of that is like kind of the next round outside of that would be the next round. So you'd go like extended family, friends, neighbors, et cetera. You, wherever you are in the concentric circle, you only really best practice get to grieve outward. Yeah. So your job is not to grieve inward and expect anything from the person at the center. That's like good. the main griever gets to be the main griever. That's they good. get to grieve outward. Your job is is not to go inward. You go outward. Does that wow. make sense? Is that, that makes perfect sense. Because yes. otherwise yeah. you're burdening the griever expecting something from them, and they wow. are just not in a place to do that. But there are places you can go, and that's on the outside of those concentric circles.
0: Wow, Aubrey, that's so helpful. I've never heard that before. That is hmm. so helpful. A very helpful oh, picture there um yeah I've seen this phenomenon take place obviously uh, up close and also, yeah. and also just working with other people as well but you know that there is so much <clears throat> there's so much merit to like you know what I hear in this question let me say this what I hear in this question is you desire for your sister to find wholeness
2: that's it and oh that that's is so such good.
0: That is such a noble desire. I know your heart is that you want your sister to find wholeness and your brother-in-law to find wholeness. And so sometimes because of that, when we experience some of those breakthroughs of wholeness and we, we want to share that with others, we want to superimpose that onto others. And then sometimes just because we're fallible human beings, we kind of can slip into it saying, being like, well, you should be experiencing this as well. And and the reality is, is again, everybody's going to grieve differently. And so because your sister is going to be, there's no question about it. She's going to be the one that is most impacted with on the heaviest scale of, of grief. When it comes to this, she is going to take a longer timeline. It's going, it's just, it's natural. Now I've also seen the phenomenon flip flop. And mm. let me, let me tell you, let me tell you how I've seen this. Um, I was forced every single day to wake up to the reality that Amanda was gone.
2: Cause you've got a baby.
0: So it forced me. Yeah. Well, a baby and just like waking oh, up on the other side saying. of the bed yeah. is right. And yeah. so it forced me to have to deal with that. And there mm. would be people that I would interact maybe, you know, even now we've interacted with some people who were in our church back then who, or I hadn't seen in several years and their grief seems still a lot fresher than mine. Wow. Because they're they're operating life, right? They're no longer in where they're, you know, in a in a normal phase or, or rhythm of life where they would have seen Amanda. And so now my presence showing up in their life, whatever we see each other at Target. Yeah, see, right? yeah. All of a sudden brings a like lot of those triggers. emotions to the wow. surface and triggers that because they haven't been uh, forced to deal with those triggers every single day. Wow. So it, so I can't sit here and look at them and go, you should be a lot further along than this, right? Even though I'm the one that's been most impacted by this grief because I have to hold space and grace for that and, and understand, okay, you know, there is a phenomenon that happens here. They haven't been forced to deal with this the way Mm. that I have. Right. Mm. And so, um, I've got to allow them to have that kind of grieving process on their own. And, and so the truth is, is that the Lord is the one that walks us in the grief journey. Other people surround us and they're there for us. But the moment that we begin kind of superimposing the like, this is what you should do is the moment that we become, we are guilty now of becoming like Job's friends,
2: Mm, right? Yeah, And so
0: what Job's friends, the first like seven days, they did a great job of just being there. Yeah. And Job needed to process this on his own, in his own time. And he needed to like... Work through it with the Lord, so that the Lord could show up, because it was at the right. end of Job where the Lord showed up in Job's life, Job's yeah. life, and said, "Hey, let's reason, let's talk yeah. about this, yeah. right?"
2: Yeah.
0: and that's what brought like this healing aha moment breakthrough for Job. That's what your sister needs. That's what mm-hmm. you need. That's mm-hmm. what we all need. And we can't force that.
2: Yeah, it's good. Dude.
0: And unfortunately, that's what that's what so can be frustrating about the yeah. grieving process and helping other people in general. Is we can't force a work of the Holy Spirit.
2: Oh man, I wish we could sometimes. I but so you're wish right, we, we could yeah, too. Yep.
0: we can offer presents, We can be yeah. available. And so my best advice to you would be this: just offer a safe space. Yeah. Always, right? Yeah. Uh, just open, like let that be open. So anytime your sister comes to you and if she begins to talk about things, even if in your your mind, you're like, oh my gosh, you should be past this. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm so frustrated. Why won't you go seek help? Why won't you go seek counseling? I get it. Like, yes, I I hope your sister also goes to seek counseling as well. Right. Yeah. I I feel like she needs that as well. Yeah. But she's not going to receive that from you. Yeah. And so for you to just be a safe space, listen, reflect, validate, Mm -hmm. hold that, be present, hey, what do you need from me? That's a great question. What yeah, can I it do for you? What do you need from me in this? Is, yeah. there, is She's like vomiting some of this stuff, right? Yeah. That is probably my, I'll be honest with you, Aubrey. That that is, I'm a fixer. I'm a yeah. solutions oriented person. right? I right. want to give, some, here's what you should do. And so yep. I'm so guilty of this. And I've had to work super hard mm. in some interpersonal relationships to go, yeah, I hear you. What I'm hearing from you is this. What I hear mm-hmm. in your voice is this. What do you need from me right now?
2: That's so good. Oh, it like drives me crazy. Drives you crazy because you want to be like, I know what you need to do. I know what you need. I know what you need.
0: But what's crazy is I find that the result that I'm hoping for for them actually Mm. gets expedited when I hold that space.
2: That's good. Because the Lord
0: is allowed to do the thing that he needs to do in that space. That's right. So I'm just like. I don't know. I I want us to all learn to trust the Lord more across the board. Mm -hmm. I I know I need to, but also when it comes to helping other people, I think that's a, the Lord teaches us that.
2: Yep. So good. Thank you so much for that question. Such a obviously, David and I had a lot to say about that. So thank you so much yeah. for that. If you have questions, if you're looking for answers, if you just want resources to find a, you know, purpose out of your pain story to take back your story, we would love to invite you to our community platform and our community plus platform at nothingiswasted.com dot com slash community. We also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music. You can find his music wherever it is you stream your music. And you can also follow us on Instagram at nothing is wasted ministries. You can follow Davy at Davey Blackburn. You can follow me at ObSamp. Davey, I'm excited yeah. about your conversation. Next week, do you want to Next tell our week? people a little bit about it?
0: Yep. Next week we have Kelly Seitz. and just a wow. Uh, unbelievable story. You 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 are gonna be so you're gonna be so impacted by this. You're gonna be encouraged. So go ahead and take a listen to this little clip for my conversation with Kelly Seitz.
2: I wouldn't say everything was going great until um, maybe about 2015. Um, I was doing well. My husband and I got married in 2010. We were very active. You know, we had done things like we did a five-mile military mud run together. I enjoyed traveling, all the things. Um, and, and and I had my son everything went great and then um, we decided to either be the smartest or the dumbest people in the world and have our kids very close together yeah and during her during my pregnancy with with my daughter just something changed and um, I did not feel well I just chalked it up to just pregnancy mm-hmm. issues and um, things progressively declined for me and um, until I gave birth and the de- delivery and everything went well and immediately afterwards I realized whatever was wrong was still there.